So it's interesting this morning, we've read so far from John's gospel, we've read from Mark's gospel, we didn't get to Matthew's, although we did teach it here a couple of months ago because we finished Matthew before we went to the book of Acts, which is where we are presently. But today we're going to look at Luke 24, so we will be looking at Luke's account of the resurrection. And as I was reading and thinking and preparing for this, I kind of had two swirling thoughts in my mind. Uh, you probably don't realize how challenging it, it is for us to, on you know, Christmas and Easter and all of that, to you know, determine what are we going to be doing. We have these passages of Scripture and we go through them because they speak of these, these blessed, sacred events. But sometimes, you know, I, I think of this phrase, familiarity breeds contempt, meaning sometimes we get so familiar with something that we, it kind of loses its, its meaning, it loses its impact. And as I was reading through the different gospel accounts, you know, I, I read these things, you know, all the time. And so I've gotten familiar with them. And sometimes I'm thinking, well, they probably already know that, but I forget that God's word is true, God's word is real, and that we need to hear it. And even though it may be familiar to me, it may not be familiar to you. Just something that a little aha moment I had over the weekend as I was thinking and preparing. So here we are in Luke chapter 24, a familiar story. So we will read this morning to prepare ourselves down to verse 12. So the word of God reads, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales And they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. Lord, thank you for the reading of your word, and we trust that, as always, you will be our teacher, you will be our guide, and you will minister to us the words of your eternal truth. Explain them to us, help them, Lord, to come full circle into our hearts and our minds that we might believe and receive and accept everything that you say. In Jesus' name, amen. So when we come to the resurrection of Jesus, we often hear of this and we wonder why was it so significant? Why was it so important to these first century believers Well, you know, if you think about the world we live in today and what we hear all the time on news or in social media or whatever, isn't it difficult to know what the truth is? 
Isn't it difficult to even discern, even if you think it's a reputable news source, whoever that might be in your eyes, how do you actually know if they're telling you the truth? We live in a world where it is pretty much impossible to discern the truth as far as the news media. And even sometimes, you know, you know we hear things from other people, right? And, you know, we have hearsay, we have gossip. And if you've ever heard of or played the telephone game, just put five or ten people in a circle, start a message, and by the time it gets around, it usually barely resembles what, what it was when it started out. And yet... The message of Jesus Christ, the message of his life, of his death, of his resurrection, stands today, 2,000 years later, as the truth, as something that has been conveyed down through history. And so here we are on, on this day, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, looking at the account of the resurrection. And as we look at it today... Not only are we going to go through Luke 24 and just look at what happened in Luke's account of the situation, but we're also going to, before we close, take a look at some of the other scriptures down through history after the Gospels occurred, after the resurrection of Jesus, and we're going to see how important it was for the resurrection of Jesus because it authenticated everything he said. Anybody, any lunatic can stand up and say, I'm God. And it happens. In fact, recently I saw a sign uh, down in the Boston area uh, that said, I, I forget the date, it's something like June 18th. Now this happens every so often. I remember years ago I worked in the city of Boston uh, back in the, the late 90s, early 2000s. And there were these signs, you know, like 1998, I forget the date, October 18th, 1998, Jesus is coming. And, of course, it wasn't true. Now, now there's another campaign that Jesus is coming to visit Boston on June, I think it's June 18th, if I saw the sign correctly. I hope it's true. But how do you know? How do we know the, the words of this book are true? Well, let's get into that this morning and consider the resurrection of Jesus. Now, here we are, as we've read, on the first day of the, of the week, Sunday, Early in the morning, uh, Jesus' disciples, the ladies, they went to the tomb. And notice it says there, it said, uh, verse 1, they came uh, to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared, but they found the, the stone rolled away from the tomb. So they came to the tomb not believing that Jesus was resurrected from the dead as he, as he had told them, but they came believing he was still dead in the tomb. And that they were going to finish the preparation for his burial. Of course, in Jewish custom, they laid someone in a tomb till their body decayed. Then they would take their bones and put them in a little box. And if you ever have a chance to go to Jerusalem, it's the most bizarre thing. You see the side of the, the Mount of Olives with these little boxes that are just the size of the longest bone in the human body, which is usually the femur and the leg, I believe. And they just crammed the bones in there. And these are just little boxes standing on the side of the hill in Jerusalem. And so all of the, these, these graves, so to speak, are open in the sense that they're, they're just these boxes filled with bones everywhere. So as they came on that day, uh, Jesus had been in the tomb for three days. Of course, decay would have started to happen. And they wanted to get there quickly and do their preparation, which, you know, they didn't practice embalming. That was an Egyptian practice. 
The Jewish practice was to make sure the body was properly prepared and wrapped in cloths and treated with respect and dignity, and they would put all sorts of perfumes and oils and spices on the body so that as it decayed, the odor of the body wouldn't be be terrible. You know, those spices would help mitigate some of that smell. And so they came to do that. They came assuming Jesus was in the grave. They came assuming he was dead, and they found the stone rolled away. And then they went in and they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this. Again, their faith wasn't there. They expected Jesus to be there. That behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. The other accounts tell us that these were angels. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? So the angels were challenging their faith, letting them know that they came seeking a dead man who wasn't there because he wasn't dead. He was alive. And then as they were afraid and they bowed their heads and the angel said this to them, they, the angel said, he is not here. He is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, verse 6, saying, the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words at that point. It was interesting. I went back in my study, and I tried to find all the places where Jesus had told them in in the Gospels about his coming resurrection, excuse me, his coming death and resurrection. And so often as you read those accounts, it almost seemed that he said it, and they just kind of went, hmm, And it just kind of went over their heads or went in one ear and out the other. There was one time, you know, Peter spoke up and said, Lord, not so with you. You know, we're not going to let that happen. But other than that, they, they heard this many times from Jesus. And yet they didn't hear it. They didn't believe it. So this morning, for all of you men, I'm going to do you a favor. Ladies, you know what I'm going to say, right? All the times Jesus said it and they didn't hear it. Okay? Just saying, you're not quite up to Jesus' status, so have a little grace for the men who don't hear what you say and who forget it. I'm sorry, but I had to do that because I'm the chief of that one, so I own that. But they remembered his words after the angel reminded them. You see, the words of Jesus are important. The words of Jesus are true. When we read in the Gospels, and we, if you happen to have a Bible that has red letters, thank God for the publishers who did that. And we read those letters, those, those words ought to have impact to us. They ought to have meaning. They ought to be significant. They ought to be more important than anything we hear on the news. You see, the tomb was empty, and in all four Gospels, it tells us the tomb was empty. And it was so important to these disciples to to hear that, to see the empty tomb, to understand that, because their faith was essentially dead at that moment, until they actually saw and, and heard and understood that Jesus was not in the tomb. They returned from the tomb, verse 9, and they told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. 
And it was Mary Magdalene, and we're given the names of the other ladies there. And it says, as they came and they bore witness, and they said, look, we were just at the tomb. Jesus wasn't there. These two angels met us. Here's what they said. Indeed, he wasn't there. And as they were saying what they saw and what they heard, it says here that their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. So even then, those disciples didn't believe the first account that they got of the resurrection. And it says in verse 12 that Peter arose and ran to the tomb and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves and he departed marveling to himself at what had happened. You know, we're told in John's gospel, as we read briefly this morning, that John and Peter went, they sort of raced one another there and got to the tomb and they looked in and they were perplexed as well. They were looking in wondering, what do these things mean? Now, we know in the gospel accounts when Jesus was laid in the grave, probably on Friday night or Saturday sometime, uh, the, the scribes of the Sadducees and the Pharisees went to the Roman council and they said, hey, we're concerned that his disciples are going to steal the body. So is there some way you can help us out here by, you know, giving us some guards, you know, and, you know, staking out the, the tomb to make sure no one comes and tries to take the body away? And they said, yeah, of course, go make it as secure as you know how. So we're told that they were given a detachment of guards. Now, when we study this, what we understand that this detachment of guards, uh, these were the the highest ranking guards. And and this, this team of men, usually a team of 16 men, would have been sort of the equivalent of a SEAL team today. So they were given essentially a SEAL team of guards to guard the tomb. How amazing is that? And then there's a tomb, there's a a stone rolled in front of the tomb that certainly ladies couldn't move and certainly no one man could move. It would have taken several people to roll that stone away. So when they come early on that morning, the guards are gone. One of the accounts says that there were a couple of guards there, but they were sort of frozen in fear because they had encountered the angels. You know, you wonder where were the other guards? The stone had been rolled away. And Jesus wasn't in there. And then we wonder why. Why was the stone rolled away? Was it to let Jesus out? Or was it to let them in to see what had happened? And I believe it was the latter. So in verse 13, it says, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day. These were two disciples uh, who were headed on the road to Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. So now Luke is taking us through sort of this sweeping panorama of the entire day. The other gospel accounts give us sort of what happened in the morning and and part of the day, but Luke kind of gives us the whole day from sunup to past sundown. So now we find the sun's come up and that these two disciples are headed back to their town, Emmaus, seven miles away from Jerusalem. And as they were walking down the road and talking of everything that had happened those last three days in Jerusalem... Uh, they were conversing and reasoning that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So you get the sense that these two men are walking down the road and then probably from behind this other traveler was Jesus, although unknown to them. And he came up behind them and it says there, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. So it would seem Either the unbelief on their part or either the Holy Spirit, one or the other, sort of made it so that they didn't recognize who he was. Now, one of the things we learn later is that in his resurrection, 
Jesus' body still bears the marks of what happened to him, of the beatings, of the crucifixion, of the bruises. We're told in Isaiah chapter 50 that his beard would have been plucked out. That was a part of the brutality of the crucifixion. And so he would have been, you know, think of a Rocky movie, right? After he's come out of a fight and his face is all disfigured and he doesn't even look like himself. And so Jesus would have looked probably something like that or worse. And so their eyes were restrained and they didn't know it was him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and as you are sad? So it would seem that these two disciples as well were sad, meaning they thought Jesus was dead. They thought he was in the grave. Then one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, "Uh, are you the only guy around here? Like, did you just pop into town? Do you not know what happened? Have you no idea what's been going on? Don't you listen to the news? Right? And he said to them, hmm, what things? So Jesus is sort of playing along with them. And he said, so they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all of this, today is the third day since these things happened. So you get the sense, as they were saying there, we're hoping that it was him, that they also sort of had an idea, maybe it was Jesus, but then since he hadn't risen from the dead in their own minds, that he, it was, he was a disappointment to them, just like everyone else who had come before. In verse 22, yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they also had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive and certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So they're saying, we're disappointed, we're sad, we thought it was Jesus, but nobody can find the guy, he's gone, somebody you know, he probably took his body. They don't, they don't know what happened to him. And then they say, you know, some from the group, Peter, John, the women, they went to the tomb. They looked in. They said he wasn't there. But we basically, we don't know what to believe. Then in verse 25, then Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ, and the word Christ, of course, means Messiah, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter enter into his glory? So he's reminding them, sort of as an innocent third-party bystander, hey, you guys are talking about all this, but where's your faith? Don't you remember what he said? Don't you know the scriptures? And listen to verse 27, and beginning at Moses... And all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Boy, there's a Bible study I'd like to be there for. A few years ago, leading up to Easter, I I had read this. And so I said, I'm going to go try to figure this out. So I, I started in Genesis. Moses is the first five books. And he says, and all the prophets. And I tried to go through as best I could, and find all of the references to the Messiah. In other words, what, what would Jesus have said to them? And it was overwhelming to look through all of the material 
of the Old Testament. And to find all these references to Jesus and the coming Messiah and things about, you know, Psalm 22, the death of the Messiah, Isaiah 53, the death of the Messiah. The Psalms are just filled with references looking forward and pointing to the Messiah. And looking at all these things and going, wow, the scriptures are so full of of pointers and references to, to who the Messiah would be and that he would come. And so on this, this walk, this stroll down the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, this seven-mile journey as they're, they're walking, Jesus is giving them probably the most amazing Bible study that is not recorded for us. And we're going to have to wait to heaven to find out what he said. It says in verse 28, Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further or farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. That would have been a, a polite custom to say, Look, you know, hey, sundown's coming. You don't want to be out on the road by yourself. Come, come stay in our house with us. So they invited Jesus in. And it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened. And they knew him, and he vanished from their sight, and they said to one another, did not, did, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the scriptures to us? Now imagine their surprise, and, and yours and mine, if we had been in that situation, that as they sat at the table, and it would have been customary for the head of the house to offer up some kind of prayer of thanksgiving, And then to break the bread and begin to distribute it. But as Jesus did that, as he reached out, most likely what happened is his robe rode up. And what did they see? They saw probably the nail prints in his his wrists. And in that moment, they were like, ah. And then it says Jesus was taken from them. I mean, wow. They were overwhelmed with the fact that Jesus was with them. He had walked with them on the road. He had given them this incredible Bible study. Notice what it said. Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? Listen, let me just make a little plug here for personal devotions. This is why you and I need to get alone with the Lord and open the Bible for ourselves. Because we need to hear from him. There is nothing better, there is nothing sweeter than opening the word of God, the Bible, the Holy Scriptures, on your own, and letting God speak to you. And these men were so overwhelmed with what happened. It says in verse 33, so they rose up, so it's getting dark. They rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So in that moment, now they are coming back to, to bear witness. And now the other gospel accounts tell us that Jesus had appeared to Simon. And so all these reports are now coming in and they're all the same. Hey, Jesus is alive. He appeared to me. He appeared to me. He appeared to me. I saw him. The tomb's empty. He's alive. And now this, this excitement is stirring and these, these people are just going, wow, he's really alive. I mean, what he said is true. What, what he said would happen actually happened. 
Now, as they said these things in verse 36, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them. And the other gospels seem to indicate they were in a place, they were in a room, the door was closed, and all of a sudden, boom, there's Jesus. Well, how'd you get in? No, but he didn't walk in through the door. He just appeared in their presence. And he said to them, peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit, even in that moment. After all of these things, Jesus appears to them, says peace to you, something I'm sure they had heard from his mouth many times. And they were terrified and frightened and they thought they were seeing a ghost, an apparition or something. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? And you get the idea now, he holds out his hands and he says, behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. John, some 60 years later, writing in his epistle, 1 John, said, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. John, no doubt, writing of the entire time that he was with Jesus, but certainly of that moment where Jesus stood before them, held out his hands, said, see the holes in my wrists. Another account says that he revealed the the hole in his side from when he was punctured with the spear. He revealed the hole that was in his feet as the nail had gone through his feet. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. So Jesus brought calm to their storm. He brought peace to them. And in Jesus speaking to them and Jesus reassuring them with his presence, it says in verse 41, they still did not believe for joy and marveled. And he said to them, have you any food here? So Jesus is thinking, I don't know what it's going to take to get these guys to wake up and snap out of it. So maybe I'll just eat in front of them. And maybe they'll believe it's actually me. So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. And he took it and he ate in their presence. So you get the sense that as Jesus did this and he took his time, he ate this food in front of them and they're all sitting there speechless, right? You ever had that awkward moment with someone and you don't know what to say? And you're just sitting there and you're like, um, just kind of looking around the room. So Jesus is there finishing his bite. And then he said to them in verse 44, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Isn't that what we need? To have our minds and our hearts open to comprehend the scriptures? So in that moment... Jesus explains things to them. The guys from Emmaus are going like, we heard this on the road. This is good. You guys should listen to this. And then he said to them in verse 46, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Now you say, And it's a good question. Jesus said it was necessary. Why was it necessary? Why would it be necessary for Jesus to die? 
Why would it be necessary for the Messiah to die? You see, there's this problem that all of mankind has, and that problem is called sin. And the word sin very simply means to miss the mark. It's sort of an archery term that you think of someone shooting an arrow at a target, and if anything less than the exact center is off target. And so that's the term used to describe sin. So in terms of our relationship with God, because God created us, we go all the way back to the book of Genesis, God created male and female, he created all mankind, and then through them he allowed them to procreate, meaning God through them bore offspring, that as that happened, we know that of course Adam and Eve sinned in the garden before God, they disobeyed God right out of the gate, and because of their sin, their fellowship with God was broken, their relationship with him was altered. Before they had sinned, they had perfect communion, perfect fellowship with God. Going back and reading in Genesis, Adam walked with God in the cool of the day in the garden. They were naked. There was no shame in nakedness because nakedness wasn't a, a thing then. You know, it was just the way it was. And there, were, there, was, there was purity and honesty before God. And then sin came in, the serpent came, devil, the devil, and he tempted them. And the sin entered the world through them. And now, as you now have the proliferation of people throughout time and history, as we read Old Testament history, it's not very far, it's even in the children of Adam and Eve, that murder takes place. And a couple of more generations, and adultery takes place, and all sorts of evil things begin to happen. And so God then brings Moses, and he sets up the law, and he says, here's the way you can have a relationship with me. And God had set up all of these these laws and these principles and all of these things that had to be followed so that they could have a good relationship with God. And that's where we sort of get the idea in religion of a system of works that we must appease God. And well, if we don't do that, God's going to get angry with us. And so this religious system was set up by God himself as a perfect expression of the need of man to have relationship with God, but we were hindered by this wall, by this obstacle called sin. And we now have this thing, I'm sure you hear of it every year, it's called Yom Kippur, it's the Day of Atonement. And and atonement means covering. So in the Old Testament system, a sacrifice had to be offered. A pure, innocent animal, and usually a lamb, and the blood of that pure, innocent animal had to be sprinkled on the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant. Now, if you've ever seen the movie, Indiana Jones... You've seen it. That was actually a pretty good representation, believe it or not, of the Ark of the Covenant. And so the priest would then take the blood from that innocent lamb and sprinkle it on the top of the mercy seat. And in so doing, as God looked down from heaven, what did he see? Well, before the blood was sprinkled, he saw inside the Ark of the Covenant. He saw the bowl of manna where God had for 40 years provided food daily for the children of Israel, but they were unhappy with it and they grumbled and they complained against the Lord. And there's a bowl of manna there to remind the Lord and the people of their grumbling against him in the wilderness. And then there's the broken tablets of the Ten Commandments. Remember Moses came down and you know the tablets were broken as he came down from the mountain and found the craziness going on at the bottom of the hill. And so they were there to remind God and to remind us that we broke, from the very beginning, as soon as God gave us his law, we broke it. And then there was the budded rod of Aaron. 
Aaron was one of the, the servants, one of the assistants to Moses, and the people were challenging the authority of Moses, and they came and they set up this sort of battle, and uh, what they said is, you know, hey, let's put your staff and, and the staff of Aaron in the tent, and we'll wait overnight and see what happens. And the ne- next day, the rod of Aaron had budded. A dead, dried-out stick had life in it. And so the rod of Aaron was there in the Ark of the Covenant as a symbol of man's rebellion against God's authority. So when God looks down in the Ark of the Covenant, he sees the reminders of our sin, of our rebellion against him. So when the blood of the innocent lamb was sprinkled every day on Yom Kippur on the top, it was so that God would look down and his wrath would be satisfied. He didn't look in and see the sin of mankind, he saw the blood of the innocent lamb that had taken away the sin. Maybe if you want to put it in the context of a Marvel movie, it was kryptonite and God couldn't see through it or lead or whatever it might be. So there's this problem of sin. Jesus says it's necessary for the Messiah to suffer. You see, the only way for our sin to be atoned for was through the blood of of the Messiah. Remember when Jesus came on the scene in the early part of the Gospels, John the Baptist was out by the river baptizing people. It was this crazy guy wearing a burlap sack and eating honey and got food in his beard, and he looked like a crazy man. And Jesus was coming to him one day. Remember, Jesus was his cousin. And as, they, as he was coming, John looked at him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, they didn't know what that meant. But certainly it sounded a little blasphemous to their ears. So now here we are three years later. And Jesus says, it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. You see, the Christ had to suffer. He became the Lamb of God and his blood, the blood of an innocent man, paid not just for the sins of a few people, not just for the sins of Israel, but for the sins of the whole world. So if Jesus died and he stayed dead, would his blood have been effective? Would the words that he spoke while he was on the earth, such as if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, but he was dead, would it mean anything? Isn't God eternal? Can can God die? You see, it didn't line up. So Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And as Jesus was resurrected, now he's standing before them saying, now do you believe everything I said? Now, do you understand that as I explain to you the scriptures, that I'm authenticating what God himself said hundreds and thousands of years ago in the word of God? So Jesus explained all that to them. And then he goes further and he says that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So Jesus is now saying to them, not only am I authenticating everything that's happened, but now this is going to become the basis, this resurrection for the gospel. And it will be preached to all nations starting in Jerusalem. And he says to them, verse 48, now imagine yourself being there. And I imagine Jesus doing this as he looked around at them in that room, however many there were. And he said, and you are witnesses of these things. You've seen it. You witnessed it. You know it's true. And you see, in their system, in their society, not so much in ours, an eyewitness account held weight. 
It meant something. A person's word carried weight. If someone said, I give you my word, this is true, that's all you needed. And so Jesus says, you are witnesses. They were witnesses of the power and the truth of God's word. They were witnesses of a changed life, the life of Jesus himself and the metamorphosis of Jesus and being killed and raised again now becomes a metamorphosis in their lives. And they became the first witnesses to go out and and say, he was real, he is true, he's alive. Everything he said is true. They gave a witness of their own personal experience of being with him. They gave a witness of who Jesus was and the things that they saw him do. Then in verse 49, behold, I send the promise of my father, which is the Holy Spirit upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany. So this fast forwards a a week or two. Uh, He lifted up his hands and blessed them. And now it came to pass as he blessed them that he was parted from them. And of course, he ascended into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. So why does the resurrection matter? We we read this account. We look at the stories. Well, if you guys can bring up that uh, PowerPoint, I want to share with you some of the scriptures that looking forward, and I, I, in my mind, I was thinking about this as sort of uh, yesterday, today, and forever. In terms of the promises from the Word of God, I realize you not, may, may not be able to read all of this. If anybody wants this, I'm happy to send it to you. But I was just looking at it in terms of what did they say back then, and all of the accounts that were in the Scriptures talking about the Lord Jesus. And so we're not going to read all of these. I've underlined some of these things here. But we see here in Luke chapter 7, where Jesus was uh, talking, you know, sending a messenger back to John the Baptist who was in prison. And they said, well, you know, are you the Messiah? And he says, why don't you go back and tell John what you've seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. And so every time Jesus raised someone from the dead... It was a miracle, it was an authentication that he could not only raise people from the dead, but he could raise himself from the dead. Uh, Verse uh, Luke 20, 37, even Moses showed in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised when he called the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, for he is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Pointing to the fact that God doesn't relish in dead bodies, God is the God of the living, John 21, this is the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Acts 2, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death as the disciples are now preaching. What are they doing? They're saying, it's, it's the resurrection, whom God raised up. This Jesus whom God raised up, that's the Jesus that we preach. Acts 3 again, they're preaching again, and you killed the prince of life whom God raised from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. So from the very beginning, their gospel is based on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Uh, Acts 3.26, to you first, God having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you. And we could go on and on. This is just a few. I couldn't even put all of them in here. It's way too many. 
Uh, Acts 10, God raised him up on the third day. Acts 13, but God raised him up from the dead. By the time we get to Acts 10, we're 10 years past the resurrection. And what are they doing? They're still talking about the resurrection because it's the central point of the gospel. Acts chapter 4, with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Uh, Down at the bottom there, Romans chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Paul saying there that Jesus' resurrection proved that he was the Son of God. If you can go on to the next slide, please. Uh, is that the, there you go. And so just kind of thinking about today, how does, how does the gospel, how does the resurrection affect us today? What does it mean to my life here today in the 21st century? Romans 4, but also for us it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised Jesus up, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and raised because of our justification. That's something that happened in the past, but it means something to us today. You say, the reason we can have a relationship with God the Father is because of what Jesus has done. So the resurrection is not just something that happened in the past. It has continuing effects today. Without the resurrection, us being here today to worship the Lord would mean nothing. We would be worshiping a dead idol Uh, Romans 7, therefore, my brethren, if you you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised up from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Colossians 3, if then you were raised with Christ, and the word if means since, since then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. The resurrection gives us the, the power to go forward in life, to believe in God, to trust in him. I love Romans 8, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and he does, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So there's a promise that because of the resurrection, if you believe in Christ, the power of God will reside in you and God will give life to your mortal bodies, not just now, Not just the the breath that we have right now, but one day when we come to death's door, we we don't die to be dead. We will die and be resurrected again in the presence of the Lord. So we could go on and on and on with this, right? Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 at the bottom. Now, if you've never read 1 Corinthians 15, you should do that. That is the resurrection chapter. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. The resurrection. And we will be resurrected because he was resurrected. Next slide. Uh, If you can go on to the next one, please. Uh, Next one, sorry, I have, I have, there's a lot in here. Future, okay. So thinking about the future, what does the resurrection mean for our future? 1 Corinthians 15, in a moment in the twinkling of, of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall all be changed. Why? Because of the resurrection. 2 Corinthians 4, 
knowing that he, God, who raised up the Lord Jesus, will also raise us up with Jesus. So there's a promise that you and I will be resurrected and be put in the presence of God. Why? Because of the resurrection of Jesus. Ephesians 1.19, what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead? So he's saying that same power that God has given to you and me is the same power that resurrected Jesus from the grave. The resurrection is important. It means something. John 11, Jesus said, now speaking to, to Martha and Mary, their brother had just died, Lazarus. So Jesus is coming to them and it's been four days and they're like, Lord, if you had been here, he wouldn't have died and where were you? And they're just, you know, all upset. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Before he had died, before he had resurrected, he said this. I am the resurrection and the life. And that was forward looking to what he did. And because of that, you and I have hope that he will resurrect us. Romans 6, and we'll end with this. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. The life that we have today in Christ is because Jesus was resurrected. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. So we have life today because of the resurrection and we will have life in the future. We will be resurrected because of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away, that we should no longer be slaves of sin for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ... We believe that we also shall live with him. A part of the gospel, a part of our faith is believing and knowing because of the scriptures that we will live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. Thank you. So I hope you see that when we read the story of the resurrection, and it's true, and it's real, and Jesus is alive, and today he sits at the right hand of God, interceding for us, that the resurrection was not just this thing, this historical event that happened 2,000 years ago, but it has continuing effects for you and I today. It is the central and, and the foundation point of our faith. Without the resurrection, there is no gospel. Without the resurrection, there is no life. Without the resurrection, there is no hope. So when we believe in Jesus and we believe that he was the Messiah and that he satisfied God's wrath for me and for you, we do so based on fact. You see, our faith is, is not a blind faith. Our faith is in the word of God. Our faith is in the historicity of everything that happened. But our faith is also in the fact that there, is, there are people today, like myself, like many of you, who are bearing witness to the fact that Jesus is alive and that he's real. There's an old hymn. It's called He Lives, and I'll end with this. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. 
and just the time I need him, he's always near. Then here's the chorus. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Our faith is real, our faith is based on fact, but our faith is also based on experience. And I bear witness, and many of you bear witness, there's, God has people all over the planet Earth who are bearing witness of the fact that he's alive. He's alive in my heart, and he's real. I may not have seen him and touched him, but one day I will. But every time I read his word, I feel his presence, and I know he's near. And so my encouragement to you today if you have never believed and trusted in Christ, is to believe and trust in him now. Not because of what I say necessarily, but because of what the Bible says. And hopefully I've showed you today in some way that the word of God is true and that it has long lasting effects all throughout history. Here we are today, and remember I talked about the telephone game at the beginning. Here we are today, and the words of Jesus Christ are just as clear today as they were 2,000 years ago. He's alive, he's real, he's true. One day we all have to reckon with him. And I pray that we reckon with him on the basis of his blood, of his love, of his grace, of his mercy. Because we don't want to be on the discipline side of the, the love of God, do we? That will be a very unpleasant thing. So now, while the book of Hebrews says, while it is still called today, trust in him. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you love us. And Lord, we bless you today. And I pray that your word has just pricked the consciences of every one of us. And Lord, for any who are listening today, either here or online, I pray that your word has just penetrated their hearts. And I pray that in this moment that they would speak with you and just be able to say something like, Lord, I, I come to you now. I trust you. I believe in you. I accept your sacrifice for my sins. And, and I turn away from my life, my self-willed life, and I turn to you. And I don't know what it all means, but I want your love and your forgiveness in my life. I've tried it my way, Lord, and it doesn't work. So would you, Lord, come in and would you take over? And Lord, I will trust you. Lord, save me and deliver me. I want the kind of life that you've spoken of today, Lord. And so, Lord, I pray that many have prayed that prayer today and they've invited you into their heart. And Lord, we bless you. We honor you today. We thank you. We're so grateful, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.